Blog Talk Radio. There's no earthly way of knowing. Good man, a lot of time. Which direction we are going? Direct the El Camino. It would have been DWI. have reached a tipping point. In the same way, when I taught eighth graders, they were always shocked when they would see me out and about. Like, you're grocery shopping. Like, they just thought I, like, I guess slept underneath my desk or something. <laughs> and um, and so that might be weird to hear that Larry has has uh, has work drama. Has work drama. So, um, Larry, how was your weekend? Ah, you went to PCW. That's phenomenal. Gee. Yes, I went to PCW. Uh, Geez, did, did I uh, did I put Matt Hankins over, Hankins over strong enough in that review? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's he's doing the do, man. He is. He is. He's he, he's 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 got it going. No, that's a. It was a. It was. It really, I really felt the magic in there uh, Saturday night. It was. It was quite a quite a uh, entertaining place to see a show in a. In a and a really good show. Had a good time at uh, PCW Saturday night. And I would say that even if I wasn't talking to Stephen Platinum, I would say that it was it was good. It was very good. Yeah, I uh, I'm glad you were there. Um, I, I think it shocked people. Somebody asked me recently, like, I I kind of expect you to keep showing up for the shows, but no, I'm not showing up for the shows. And I <laughs> really don't have anything to do. Obviously, I'm in sort of communication. Like I know what's going on, but I, I seriously have no input on anything. And uh, it's fun. It's fun, fun for me to kind of see it unfurl and uh, and see where things are going. It's it's very entertaining just to even read about or hear about. Um, and I, I think we can finally talk about this. A the uh, the Wild Side reunion, Larry. Like, yeah, can you yeah. can you believe this? Can you believe this? I can't believe the names of some of the people I'm hearing might actually show up there. Um, I, I, I don't mean, know if any I, if anything's been made public yet, and I don't know that anything's actually confirmed yet. I just know the names that have been tossed around of who may yeah. show up. Yeah, I mean, I just and and again, if you don't if you don't know Wildside, one, uh, if you're in Georgia indie wrestling and you don't know Wildside, or you don't read about Wildside, or you haven't studied up. First of all, slap yourself for being a moron. And second of all, like, 
here's you know here's a name that I'm Larry name one of the names that you're really excited about that you've heard about rumor now we can neither confirm nor deny this stuff's gonna blah 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 so but Larry out of the names that you've heard what's one name that intrigues you Laz oh I was gonna say Laz yeah I was going to say Laz. Now, the the thought of Laz and Jeff G. Bailey being in the same building at the same time again, um, because Laz, uh, how would you describe his gimmick? He's, he used to do the Britney Spear, right? When that was Laz. He, yeah, he's kind it, of like it, a... It, it had a tinge of Adrian Street in it, and it was the Britney Spears music, and it was, it was, it was a wild gimmick, no doubt. No doubt, it was fun. And one of one of his one of his most notable feuds, if not his most notable feud, was with who many had their most notable feuds with, which was Jeff G. Bailey. And uh, and certainly, you can imagine what the Jeff G. Bailey uh, of old would have said about a gimmick like Lashes. <laughs> so I think that there's actually some legitimate heat there. So that's one of the guys I can't. I mean, I might have to show up for that thing. Um, oh. Yeah, like. Must, Lots of names have been kicked around, um, you, you know, but just, uh, and some people will know why this is such a big deal, but to have Bill Barons, right? Rick Michaels, um, Slim J, Jeff G. Bailey. I mean, just so many guys that made magic. I hope they can really get, uh, this is, this is perhaps too strong of a statement, Larry, if they are turning people away on that show, something's really wrong. And I mean, I know it's been a long time, but I feel like that thing should be promoted to the moon. I, I, I hope that the people realize what a big deal this is to have that show happen. Yeah, the curiosity factor should be huge. And by the way, I, if I'm not mistaken, the date on this is going to be January the 14th. Do I have that right, Stephen? I don't know, but I can, you know, I've got my, my laptop from work right here. So I believe it's January the 14th is when this show is, was when this show is going to take place. Yeah. Yeah. So I would hope some of the old timers will show up to see what uh, old time fans, I should say, will, will, will show up to see what happens here. Cause it should be interesting. If half the people um, rumored I, show up, it should be interesting. Yes, and I mean, and honestly, if half the people who claimed that they worked Wildside legitimately show up and buy a ticket, they should be in great shape. Now, there's there's sort of muddy waters there as far as what makes a real Wildside guy. And I mean, who am I to say one way or the other? Because at one point, they were doing shows very frequently, right? They were kind of like doing a Friday night sort of I, I don't know how to describe it. Sort of like like a, not the main show, but they would do sort of a Friday night show where guys would sort of uh, cut their teeth. And I mean, AJ right. Styles famously would wrestle on those shows and and do way too much, right? Like they would, he would like kill himself and drive everybody crazy. Like it's Friday night, what are you doing? You know, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Wild side, obviously you're going to be there, Larry. Um, oh yeah. When um. What's something, I mean, besides the stuff that is unlikely to happen, right? Like in a perfect world, yes, it would be nice if they could get Abyss, right? It would be nice if they could get AJ Styles, but come on, right? Like that's probably not going to happen. But who's somebody you would love to turn up who is just sort of like a personal favorite of yours who, man, it sure would be great if they would get X. 
Oh, well, uh, Jason Cross would be one for sure. Mm. Um, I don't know that he's going to come. I mean, hey, you know, the Briscoe brothers were, were wild side guys. <laughs> mm. It was, without a doubt, the most prestigious promotion in Georgia. I think it can be easily argued the Southeast at one point. Mm-hmm. And certainly the most, um, if you don't want to use the word prominent, I would use the most, the most interesting and active within the NWA at one point. Um, and oh, yeah. I mean, when you look, a, a lot of people like to put up their talent rosters of old and go, look how many of these guys went on to do X, Y, Z, right? But you look at that one, it's not just the, the incredibly long list of guys who came from Wildside, but it's the fact that these are guys who sincerely cut their teeth at Wildside and didn't just wrestle a match or two there and then go on. These are guys who learned how to work, learned how to make money at a time where that mattered. Um, you know, nowadays, one of the things I think that hurts wrestling, but I understand it's just one of those things and we're never going to go back, is that it seems like getting to Raw and SmackDown is the finish line. I think that's a lot of the problem. I think there's, they've, and they've built it up that way with shows like Tough Enough and NXT and all this stuff, all great. But at the end of the day, you almost feel like the guys feel like, okay, we've made it just by making Raw and SmackDown. And it's not about being the top guy or the guy that can really work programs and make money. That almost seems secondary to I've made it done. And, but those guys in wild side, think about this. So like crush, um, our truth, whatever you want to call him, that guy just turned 50, Larry. 50 years old, 50 years old. And he's still on the main roster. I don't (laughs) like, I don't think people understand how amazing that is. And he's still able to pull off spots and he obviously has everybody's respect. And I even look at a guy like AJ Styles who wrestled the great, I mean, let's get into the pay-per-view in a second, but that, I mean, the match he had with Dean Ambrose, um, and the spots he was doing and like, but he's not the youngest guy in the world, but he's at that great juncture where I think what he knows mentally is sort of crossing swords with how he is physically. He hasn't tapered off physically yet and he's able to wrestle smarter and still get big reactions with big moves. He's sort of at the height of his powers right now. And uh, he learned how to come to those powers at Wildside. You know, and one other thing about Wildside, uh, that was a place where guys would routinely be driving hours and hours to yeah. come and do those shows, driving from Texas, driving from Cincinnati, Philadelphia, St. Louis. I remember when Jay Lethal came from New Jersey, and, I mean, he completely, as you might imagine, he completely knocked it out of the park. I mean, he was fantastic. And I was, I went to talk to him afterwards. And he said, do you think they'll uh, invite me back? I said, oh, yeah. 
<laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and of course that never happened. I mean, he went on from there, but he that was I think a one and only a one shot for him. But yeah, yeah, it was a destination for guys. And so many interesting things happened. I mean, where like Dusty Rhodes did a thing, and just like the stories are myriad. I'm hoping they get all of that stuff out there. Um, if it is on January 14th, which I see it is, um, that's a lot of time in the modern era where they can really build that thing up. Everybody in Cornelia fucking Georgia better know that that show's happening. That's the one thing I'll say. <laughs> if that building isn't turning people away, that's the fault of the promoter. And they just need to let everybody know in the non-laziest way possible. I'm talking like hitting the streets, talking to people, putting a flyer, people's hands in that town and making sure that that place is packed because Wildside quite simply deserves it. And by the way, I, I mean, this is a minor thing. We don't talk about them very much, but like the NWA as it stands, I, I think it's one of those things where once, once they pulled out of the NWA and anarchy pulled out of the NWA <clears throat> because, you know, Bruce Tharp took over and blah, blah, blah. So everybody that was NWA, which was like Rampage and Anarchy at the time, they all pulled out. I honestly think that was the NWA's loss, only because then that tie is severed, right? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, so Wildside was NWA about the whole time, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, I feel like that's something that's lost, not on Wildside's end. I don't think anybody thinks twice. I mean, we all call it Wildside regardless, right? But I think it's the NWA's loss that they can't sort of tap into that lineage and that history. Um, but, I mean, certainly that's not going to affect ticket sales at all. And, like I said, it's the NWA's loss. I can't wait. I mean, Larry, be pushy. Um, I, I want – I mean, I want stories from that interaction between Rick and Slim and Bill and, I mean, just all those guys back there. I mean, it's just, it's just something I don't, I, I mean, you don't, you don't want to miss it, I guess is what I'm saying. No, no, no way. No, can't, it, it is a not miss for anybody who's from, who was a fan during that era. You, you got to be there. Um, our guest tonight is supposed to be, Ron Bass, I'm hoping he'll call in. Um, apparently it's all arranged and set up, but I got to tell you, um, I met Ron Bass on Saturday. So I was at, his name is Michael Lashman. So it's his promotion company called Lashman, whatever. And um, he put on this 30th anniversary of Highlander. It's the 30th anniversary of the movie. So they flew in a bunch of people who were in the movies and in the series and kind of built this thing in uh, Lakeland, Florida, which is the same place where Ring of Honor does its shows when it's there. And, um, and they had the wrestlers there as well, kind of guys who were Florida guys, B. Brian Blair, um, Cuban Assassin, Bugsy McGraw, Ron Bass, uh, Ottman was there, Fred Ottman, Tugboat. He was there as well, and um, Bushwhacker Luke. <clears throat> And um, 
Larry, it broke my heart. There was nobody to see those guys. It was so badly promoted, and they didn't really push the wrestler part of it at all. And the only people who were there from what I saw was um, they, Adrian Paul, who was one of the two big stars of the Highlander movies. He was kind of, he was the heel. Um, he did like a sword fighting class thing on Saturday morning and Sunday morning, apparently. And I was in for that. I use, I mean, I used the magazine to get into everything for free. That's my thing. And so I did the sword fighting class and it was great, but the 44 people in that class basically comprised the people who attended that conference or that con. And, you know, it's good for me selfishly because I got to sit down and talk and shoot the shit with all of those guys at length because nobody else was really talking to them. But I mean, Brian Blair is the, he's the president of cauliflower alley, right? Yeah. Yeah. How many, how many houses did Cuban assassins sell out in Florida? You know, I, I, I sat there talking to B- the bushwhacker, but I was talking to him about how he scared the bejesus out of me when I used to see pi- <laughs> pictures of him in magazines where it's like they're, you know, they, they feuded with the fabulous ones, the fantastics. Basically, if you were, if you were a blowjob pretty boy tag team, the, you weren't shit until the sheep herders pushed your head into some barbed wire cage, right? Right, and, right. And, um, you know, just getting to talk to those guys and talking to Bugsy McGraw about Gary Hart and how Gary Hart went to bat for him. And at one point, all of us were talking about the Von Erics and Fritz and, and the weird relationship with the boys. And I'm thinking, like, this is – Again, great for us, because now apparently we'll be able to get any of these guys on Tipping Point. But I don't know, Larry, it made me really sad. Um, You know, those guys moved a lot of tickets in Florida. Those guys, they just deserved better, is I guess what I'm saying. Uh, And it it just, it saddened me that that's where we are with sort of like badly. So just know there aren't just bad promoters in of wrestling. There's bad promoters of other stuff as well who don't even understand the value. I don't think, I don't think that promoter understood the value of having those guys there. Steve, we have a caller on hold. I don't know if it's uh, our guest or not. Um, I could take a chance here. (laughs) Yeah, We're always taking a chance when we take a caller here. So uh, I, I hate to do it this way, but I just don't know if this is him or not. Yes, caller, caller, are you Mr. Ron Bass? Area code 615. Uh, no, actually, I'm not. Oh, it's Chicken Head. I'm sorry, Chicken Head. I, we, uh, we thought maybe... I was just listening to the show. How are you and doing? I, fine, thank you. Good. What did you want to say, man? What did you want to say? Well, like I said, I was listening to your show and had no idea you had me on hold. <laughs> well, you're, you know, your number comes up in the queue, and I'm just sorry. I should have recognized it, but I didn't, and uh, thought you might be Mr. Bass, but obviously you're not Mr. Bass. How are things in Nashville? Well, uh, well, I have some news. I moved down to Florida, 
Oh. We left, my, my brother and I left Music City for Florida. We're just getting settled. Well, Where are you in Florida? A certain area. I can't really tell you for, for uh, certain reasons I'd rather not get into. Nice. Being secretive. You still you still a huge still a huge wrestling fan? Oh yes. In fact, I'm on my way to hopefully watch SmackDown tonight. Cool. Well, I hope you have a a great time, Mr. Uh, Chickenhead. I think our guest is now on the line, so we're going to bring him on. Thank you for for uh, listening in tonight. You're welcome. We are now joined by a wonderful uh, uh, legend guest that we've been looking forward to speaking with on the line with us now, and welcome to The Tipping Point, Mr. Ron Bass. Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? (laughs) Yes, that's Ron Bass. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, sir? How are you doing tonight? I'm doing awesome. How about you? I'm doing wonderfully. I'm so glad you called in. Um, before before we get into the wrestling talk, how was Sunday at that event? I mean, I just I, I don't know about you, but as soon as I kind of saw what the turnout was, that guy um, running that thing. I mean, hopefully you're not friends with him. I just thought that it was one of the worst promoted, just sort of like just clusterfuck of a per- thing that I had been to in a long time. Did Sunday get any better? <laughs> I wish I could lie to you and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be a total lie. It was horrible. I mean, like you say, of all the ones I've ever done, and I thought I had a couple of doozies, but that one was the <laughs> the epitome of what not to do. <laughs> I mean the, the the all the wrestlers I thought were like r- really game and just kind of cool about everything. Again, I think if you've been in wrestling long enough, you've kind of dealt with this that kind of un- incompetence before. Um, I want to jump into this first wrestling question. Uh, when you were with World Wrestling Federation, um, this would be in the in the late eighties, right? Like eighty seven to eighty nine around there. Yes. Sir. Um, Something that I noticed, um, and I thought about this, and I, I confirmed it with a friend of mine. You, not one, not only did you get to be outlaw Ron Bass, they didn't, they didn't change, they didn't change anything about you. You also didn't have a manager in an era where I, I would say almost everybody, everybody who worked heel in the WWF at that time had a manager. Unless they weren't important at all, but you were. You were the one guy who was a significant talent that also didn't have a manager. Why was that? Why were you not assigned a manager? Well, uh, I, what I would say and I tell myself is that uh, I was blessed with the opportunity, with the, with the ability to, when, when they, they said, okay, Ron, you're on, that I could, I could run for four or five minutes and never have to take a breath. I mean, I could... I was fortunate enough to have the gift of gab, and so I didn't need somebody speaking for me. And uh, they used to call me one take bass up there. A lot of these guys you see in every, <laughs> they've take, they you know they'll start it and they'll mess up, have to redo it and start it and mess up. 
mine was one take, man. I went in, bam, I was done. And <laughs> and so I, I was very fortunate that way that uh, I could get out there and all I needed to know what the match was, if there was any kind of a gimmick match or whatever, and I could run with it. And, uh, you know, I, that's my whole career I did that. Uh, even when I had a manager, J.J., you know, I, I, I did my share of the speaking. <clears throat> Excuse me. I did mm-hmm. my part of the talking. I guess I just uh, – I guess I was, I was just full of myself. How's that? <laughs> when uh, when you were in the WWF, um, was it true? Were you supposed to work a program with Blackjack Mulligan? But he he kind of took. I mean, from what I understood, he just sort of he got upset about something and then just went back to Florida. Is that what happened with that? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you had to know Jack. I mean. It didn't take much to set Jack off. I mean, I loved him like a brother, but boy, oh boy, oh boy, he had a temper on him, and uh, you don't want to go on the wrong side of Jack. I mean, he he was a bad dude, and uh, no, uh, we were definitely going to do a big, big angle, me and him. Uh, I know. I guess you know my old partner, Black Bart. Yes. He had a wife that was, you know, she's pretty rough cut, and. Uh, and so we were gonna bring her in as my manager. You know, I, I loved back then. I could, I did my cigars. I'd chew tobacco, and she would do the same thing. She'd smoke a cigar with us. She'd do a dip, or whatever. So we were gonna go out and use her as my manager and uh, shoot a big angle with Jack. But uh, here's what happened: Pat Patterson told him he was fat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and you can imagine what Jack thought about that. The next morning, I come to TV, ready to do some interview. Jack's gone. They said, where's Jack? They go, oh, he left. <laughs> then I found out what happened. And so I, I think back, and Jack told me later, he said, I really apologize. He said, I cost me, you and me both a lot of money there. I said, yeah, you did, Jack. <laughs> but that is true. Uh, my last WWF question. So at that point, you worked guys like, like Hillbilly Jim, uh, you worked in a program with Sam Houston. What did you What did you think about Sam Houston? Had you ever worked him before? Oh yeah, uh, I've known before Sam. Mm-hmm. I knew Sam when he was a little boy. You know, his dad was Greg Smith. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah. And uh, his you know his half brother was Jake Roberts. So I've I've known them boys and for a long long time. And and so I was really surprised when Jack uh, when Sam come along. I mean. He, he at the time he was a little small, but he had a lot of talent. And he was a good-looking kid, and, and you could make the little girls scream and cry for him, you know. So it, it was pretty easy for him, and he, and uh, and he, you know he was a good talent and uh, a good guy. So uh, yeah, I enjoyed working with him and uh, had a good time with him. Larry, please. Yeah. Um... Ron, this is Larry Goodman. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Before we move off of WWF, I had to ask you about your feud with Brutus Beefcake. Could you talk about oh, yeah, that, that a little bit? Yeah, that made us a lot of money. That was a good deal. And there again, I, I knew I knew Beefcake uh, when he got started in wrestling. Him and uh, Hogan were going as the Boulder Brothers. He was Eddie Boulder, and mm. and, and Hogan was Terry Boulder. And uh, first time I worked with him was in Tennessee area, and. Uh, uh, it, 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 it was a good run with us there, and uh, so I, I, I knew Beefcake there in Tennessee, and then we run together again down in the 
the Mobile, uh, Pensacola area. He he was there again without Hogan, and uh, he 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 was there. And uh, there was one other territory I'd worked with uh, with Beefcake. So I've known Beefcake for years and years. And uh, Eddie was just a super guy, man. I, I I couldn't say anything bad about him. Whatever. Wow. You know, it seemed like you got. I mean, Hillbilly Jim. Uh, Brutus Beefcake, not exactly known as great, you know, like necessarily great hands in the ring. Um, <laughs> Sam, Houston, Sam Houston was obviously talented, but he was very young at that point. Is that a reason that you were put into programs with them to sort of show them how to work and that kind of thing? I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but uh, you were right. I mean, let me, you know, Beefcake was a good hand. Don't get me wrong. I don't know who told you hmm. that, but. Uh, Beefcake could carry his own pretty good. The hardest one I had to deal with up there was uh, uh, Junkyard Dog. Uh, that that oh. was a tough one. <laughs> that, that was kind of a Don't chore. Don't get me wrong. Junkyard was a super, super nice guy, but before he was getting in there and doing a lot of things in the ring, he was kind of limited, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in preparation for this uh Show Miss Bass, I ran across a photo of you and Don Bass and Ma Bass. Right, right. That's that's Could you, how I uh, heard enlighten us about that? Yeah, uh me and Donnie uh first time I knew Donnie we were stars in the Indies back you know, when you know, used to you had uh, the the organizations, that was uh, the Goulas Welch promotion where we could grew up there around Memphis. Oh wow. Mhm. And then uh Anything, if you wasn't working for them, then you were called an outlaw or an independent. And so that's how how we got started. And uh, I just graduated out of college, and I, I was working for a big company. I was doing all the hiring. I was the employment manager. But I grew up watching wrestling, and that was my you know my big love. And me and Donnie met each other in the Indies. And uh, Donnie had a chance to go to Paducah, Kentucky, Uh at the time, the promoter there split from Goulas and was going to do his own bookings, and he he took the Von Brauners with him along with uh, their manager, uh, Saul Weigroff. And so they were going to start their own territory there. And so Donnie was with another guy that went as Roy Bass, and uh, they had a big show one night that they, they had so much heat that the people followed them home to Roy's wife's house. <laughs> You know, and they circled the house and was great. You know, and they had to actually pull guns and get them out of there. And so, uh, the Roy's wife told him, said, "Okay, you got to make a decision. It's either wrestling or me. I, it ain't gonna be both." And so Roy quit. And so Donnie called me and he says, "Hey, this has happened." He says, "You you you want to make you want to make full time of it?" Me and my wife talked about it and talked about it. I said, "You know what? If I don't do it now, what the hell?" So I mean, I went ahead and me and him came Ron and Don Bass and. The lady that managed her name was Mae Weston. Uh, she she was a tough old mm. gal from the old school with Moolah and all those girls. And some of the stories I heard about what went on with them girls was fun to listen to. But anyhow, we started. And we first <laughs> first territory we went to was down in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, the Pensacola, Mobile, uh, you know, the southern part of Mississippi, Alabama, and the northern part of Florida. And uh, we went in there and oh, we packed out houses. <laughs> I mean. Two two young big boys like that, and their mom taught us to be so mean, man. You talking about? <laughs> we had more <laughs> rights and stuff happened there that that ever happened. We had a good run there. We went to uh, 
Leroy McGurk at the time of Bill Watts took over later. We went to his territory, had a good run, and then me and my wife had a baby, and so I decided to stay home for a while, and Donnie and Ma stayed on the road, and after the baby was born, uh, they called me and said, you want to come back? And I said, you know, let's do. So we went back. We went back to Pensacola, had a good run there again. And Ma just, well, she was just getting too old, and she just, you know, she was ready to stop. So me and Donnie went to come to Florida and for the Tampa office that time. And uh, Donnie got down here, and he got homesick. He'd never been away. His dad was in bad health. And so he decided just to go back to Tennessee, and he quit the business for a long time. So it left me by myself. And so that way I just kept the name and just kept building on it in different territories. And and uh, here we are. Wow. How how did you make your way into the WWF? Did, some, did somebody sort of vouch for you, or did you come over with somebody else? Well, you know, Vince kind of kept an eye out out there, but I was down mm-hmm. here sort of working again, and uh, – I run into Jerry Briscoe, and he says, hey, you want to come to New York? <laughs> and I, I wasn't getting along with the booker down here at the time, Bob Roop. I, I didn't get along with him too good. And I said, mm. yeah, I'm ready to go. So Jerry set me up with an interview with Vince, and uh, and Vince liked what he saw, and here we go. Awesome. Uh, Ron, the first time I saw you wrestle was in Central States. Uh, this oh, yeah, like in the city area. 76? With with you came in with Dutch Mantel at the time. That's what, right. Could you talk Dutch a little bit about started, that? Uh, we started down in. Uh, I think uh, I forget how me and Dutch got started, but anyhow, Dutch and I were partners for a long time, and uh, uh, we did well together. And uh, I'm trying to remember some of these things. You know, when you get as old as I am, you forget some of this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, Dutch, we had a good run there in Kansas City. We had. Uh, you had Ed Wiskowski came in. You had a big guy mm. by the name of Tank Patton was in there. Uh, you had the Oates brothers, Terry and, and Gary and Ted. You had Ray Candy. He was just getting started well. Of course, then they all had a, you know, Bulldog Bob Brown been there for years. And, of course, then you had Bob Geigel and Pat O'Connor. And it, it was a good run. Uh, uh, Wichita Falls was by far the we had made more. That'd pretty well make you weak. But you know, it, it, we had a good run. I enjoyed it. The trips weren't that bad, and uh, uh, it was a good time. What are your What are your thoughts on Dutch? What's your take on Dutch Mantel? Oh, Dutch was a heck of a talent. I mean, there ain't no doubt about it. He he had, he, he was good in the ring. He was good on the mic, and uh, uh, so uh, there's you know there's nothing I could ever say bad about Dutch Mantel. He was a super I mean talent. Uh, he he's he's done well for himself and he deserved it. You know, I always thought, you know, when Dutch Mantel was when he's no was no longer had influence or booking at TNA, I thought to myself, I think he might be the last of sort of the old school guys who still had a say on how wrestling should be on in in the bigger way. Um what's uh, Mr. Bass, what's I was always of the mind that in in the days of the territories, 
um, you had guys riding around together in cars and they're learning from each other. Something that I think nowadays guys still travel, like guys at the independent level, but the problem is they all travel just with their friends. And it's this kind of thing where all of them are kind of at the same level and nobody's learning from somebody that knows more than they do. Is that one of the things that you think has hurt wrestling in like the last 20 years? Well, I've been on a couple of indie shows, and I've been embarrassed to see what I see. You got mm. guys going to the ring, weighs, uh, weigh 150 pounds, and the skin is a rail, and don't even have tights. I got shorts and tennis shoes on. I, and some of the goofy crap I see going on, it was just embarrassing to see some of these indie shows. Now, I've been on a couple that were pretty good, but uh, as a general, I mean, all, all these guys got to do is put on a pair of tights and call themselves a wrestler and has no idea what they're doing. And uh, I laughed. I was on one show that they had a cage match at the end. And so I just had to stand out there and watch. And these guys climb in and out of that cage about four or five times. But I come, they come back and I said, what was the purpose of having a cage? I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. A cage is to keep you in the ring. You can't get out. And you guys climbed out of it and then climbed back into it. How stupid is that? <laughs> and so I, 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 I just said, you got to be kidding me. But it, it, Ron, what uh, is, the whole the whole thing has changed a lot too, you know. Even uh, Vince's show, uh, from what we did to what Vince does, is so much different. You know, I remember one week, me and Ric Flair had four one-hour Broadways. Or I don't know if you know what that is. That's a yeah. that's, that's a time limit run out on you. Can you imagine trying to do a sixty-minute time limit show now on a, on a, on a, on a show right now? It wouldn't yeah. happen. I mean. People want to see nothing but just bam, 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 and out and gone. But when I was in the ring, you you built up to a crescendo. I mean, you had we just called you work for the pop, and uh, so it, it, everything has changed. You know, uh, some people like it, some people don't. But you know what? They're drawing money, so who cares? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, things go around, they come around. I mean, you know. Who knows? They might go back and actually do a lot of technique stuff. Actually, do holes and 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 work the heat and work. Who knows? I don't know, but uh, it, it's totally different. And uh, uh, I just wish them luck. I mean, uh, they got to keep it going. What do you think guys are missing out on with you know with the death of the territories and guys not learning through the territories? What are they? What are some I know where to learn. The only way you can learn is be in front of the people. I mean, if you got talent, that's one thing, but you also got to know how to use it in front of people. And the only way you're going to get in front of people is you get in the ring and there's people around. And so when Vince took over, I mean, when I started, I guess there was 20, 25 territories at least. And, uh, and you know, things happen. A you know, booker gets mad at you or a promoter gets mad at you or something, and things ain't going well for you. Hell, you just get up and leave and go somewhere else and just pick up and do well again. That don't happen today. You There's one. <laughs> you might you might talk about all these others, but there's only one, and then Vance controls it. And uh, you get heat with him, you're in trouble. And so, uh, yeah. and, and the only way that, again, the only way that you can learn is to be in the ring. That's why they come up with NXT. They You know, they're booking those shows and, Letting the guys get out in front of people, and uh, and that's how you hone your skills. That's how you develop your talent, and that's what happens. And uh, when, like I say again, when I was going, you had at least twenty-five territories here in this country, plus three or four up in uh, 
Canada, and then Puerto Rico was a territory, and uh, you know, and then we all went to Japan. I was I was in Japan for eight straight years for a tour. I I didn't go but one tour a year. That's enough for me. But I went for eight straight years. We had Stan Hansen, and uh, so you know, you if if you got heat with one guy, you can go to another one, and then the heat gets over with the other guy, you can go back and work for him again and make money. So. Uh, that, that's the disadvantage of just having one booker. You got to learn learn the trade, and if you're working with the same, even with NXT, you work with the same people with the same mindset. You really can't grow and expand. You got to do that mm. by actually doing it, you know. You, and so that's why they got they're still learning, and growing when they get to Vince, and Vince has to tailor them into what he wants and how they're doing things. And so it's, it's some people got it, some people ain't, and some people never will get it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was. We were talking at the top of the show about how I, I just think one of the problems is now just getting to the WWE is sort of the the end goal. Like guys don't really. I don't think they really think about how can I make money, how can I work my way up the card. I think just getting onto Raw or SmackDown feels like it's the finish line, and that's a lot of the problem. There isn't like that sort of like healthy competition of guys wanting a better spot. They just sort of are waiting their place in line and hoping they get picked. Um, When did you feel like – when did you feel like you were really making it as a wrestler? Like what was your – what was your measuring stick of success? Well, when, when you were, you know, being booked in the main events is by far the, the bottom line. I mean, yeah, that's what everybody wants, and that's when you book for the, you know, in the main events, you book for championships, have championships, and uh, you're doing the radios and the TVs, and uh, that that's when you know that you've arrived, and when when you're part of the card and, and things spin around you, that's that's what you're after, and that's what you want. With Vince nowadays, these guys are all on contracts, and so they know how much money they're going to make. So, if you ain't got an incentive to make more, how much? How are you going to grow and improve? If you know, yeah, they got to do it out of their own want to and their own desire, because the money's yeah. already there, and it's up to them to develop their talent. And so that 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 old carrot in front of, or the you know the carrot in front of you that you keep chasing uh, has kind of been diminished because you know you're already making money. Who's uh one last question for me anyway? Um, who's somebody that you dealt with? Who's a good payoff guy, and who's somebody who's a terrible payoff guy? If you don't mind saying. Well, Vince by far was the best payoff man I've ever worked with. Uh, I mean, he he took care of the boys, and he he, he let you know it was part of residuals and things like that. I could never fault Vince on his paydays. He did a super job taking care of the boys and paying the guys. But then again, he you know he he was one in control. So Vince, by far, I thought was the best payoff guy. We had another guy that, well, there was a couple. There was a guy named Paul Bosch that used to run Houston. He was a super mm-hmm. payoff guy. And then the uh, Don Owens up in Portland did a pretty good job on it. And I did well here in Florida. Eddie Graham and all those guys. I mean, <laughs> uh, when you're making over a hundred grand in the early and mid '80s, you know you're. Mm. Was pretty good money back then, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ron, how about Nick Goulas? How was he as payoffs? I understood he was not there. You, now you're talking <laughs> about the worst. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty it's pretty legendary how bad he treated the guys. I mean, any, anybody in the wrestling business that treated the guys worse, 
Gulas had to be right there amongst them. He he was probably the worst of the bunch. Uh, Mr. Bass, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you about um, Barry Windham. Your team oh. Barry Windham. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Barry Windham, probably the best time I ever worked with. Uh, I enjoyed every time I got in the ring with him. We never had a bad match. We never had a problem. And uh, uh, Windham was just uh, a pure joy to be in the ring with. And uh, uh, I, I can't say uh, uh, enough good things about him. Uh, Barry was a, when I when I was working with him. You know, he was just, he was a young kid. You know, the girls loved him. Big guy, tall guy. And uh, he 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 was really coming into his own. So Barry Windham was a dream, and uh, never I can't remember us ever having a bad match. Some of the other guys I enjoyed working with was a snooker when I was in Portland in the '77. I probably worked 200 shows with him. Uh, with him and I've changed that uh, Pacific Northwest tile. I don't know how many times up there. But the but the one that really comes to mind that you made the money with was was Big Dust, old Dusty, and he he was uh, he was one of a kind without a doubt. I mean, uh, he might have not have been the best technique wrestler, but he had as much charisma as anybody ever was in the ring. Are you kidding me? And uh, yeah, we used to we used to say he could put ashes in the seats, and that's exactly what he did. And uh, Big Dust, I miss him. What what a what a, what a you know can't say enough good things about him and Wyndham and uh, and you know Blackjack and all these guys that we were down here in Florida with it, we you know I was here almost three years and, and when you're in the same town every week that says something yeah yeah I I know I said I was going to ask only one more question I already did but you know I I noticed you know Brian Blair was there on uh, this weekend at the same at the same thing Ron Bass was at and um talking to him I didn't realize he was president of the Cauliflower Alley Club now do you do you ever go to the Cauliflower Alley Club or like the Gulf Coast reunion or do you do you ever meet up with the guys in Florida like what's your relationship with sort of wrestling and people that you used to work with well, uh, we do once every three months down here. We call it a Legends Lunch. We just had one last Friday before we went over to Lakeland there. And uh, it has changed so many of the guys I've worked with. We've lost so many of them, so there's so many new mm-hmm. guys. A lot of them down here in Florida are all indies, so I know very few of them. But uh, that, let's say at the one that we was at Friday, Bugsy was there, Steve Kern, uh, uh Danny Spivey, Scott McGee. Chris, uh, Chris Whaley goes down there too, huh? The Saint. Is he? Does he go to that? I don't know him. Okay. Uh, I see Bugsy was there. Uh, uh, Buddy Colt, Jerry Briscoe. Mm. So you know that's that's still the ones that I know. But there's a lot of other guys that's not there. I went to the Gulf Coast one one time. Uh, Man, Donnie was being inducted into their Hall of Fame, and I went for that. And again, I didn't know anybody there. I said, "How's this a <laughs> how's this a wrestling unit? I don't know any of these people. I knew a few. I didn't know the rest of them." And I said, "You know, I, you know, I, I, I don't. I hope you take this with me. I, I did enjoy being there. I didn't know nobody. Are you kidding me? Right. I haven't been to one in Cauliflower Alley. I might check that out, but." You know, it just—it uh, just not something that really wounds my clock up. If you want to know what I mean, 
I like meeting the guys, but you have more fun meeting them like we did this weekend at the Legends when you're at the table and sitting there and talking and having a good time. Yeah, yeah. Who who are you closest with out of the people that were there this weekend? Probably Fred Tugboat. Mm-hmm. Of, of the wrestling business, probably Stan Hansen and Black yeah. Bars. Stay in touch with more and more. Man, Stan talk at least once a month, and the same with Black uh, with Bart. But Stan Hansen and I, we go way back, man. We we started in business about the same time, and uh, you know he he's such a class act and a tough guy, but a good guy, and you can depend on him. You know he's one of those guys. He ain't one way one time and one way another time. He, he he's, yeah. he's a pretty good guy, man. I bet you you guys made a little bit of money in Japan together. I would imagine, huh? Oh, yeah, we did well over there. Like I say, for eight <laughs> years, I went over there. Ever, I'd go over there. Let me remember. It was the last week of March and the first two or three weeks of April. We'd go over there. It was a tag team tournament, and Stan and I had their title two or three times. and So it, it was a fun going over there. Well, clearly you covered an awful lot of ground in your career. Is there anywhere you didn't go, anyone you didn't get to wrestle that you wish you would have? One territory I wished I got to work was Minneapolis. I never got to work for very mm. That's one territory I would have loved to have worked and never had an opportunity. I just it just didn't happen. So that's one that I can say I wished I should have or would have or could have. Uh huh. You know, t- today would have been uh, Nick Bockwinkle's 82nd birthday. Yeah, uh, if he was still. Yeah. And like say you could have made some money with Nick. Yeah, I think you could have made some money with Nick for sure. I met Vern three or four times, and I always got along good. And uh, the time I'd already met him is when Vance was making his move, and then everybody was closing down, so it wasn't no good. What, what one time when Vance was starting to make his move, all the promoters, Eddie and Vern and some of the other guys, brought us all together on some big shows. And I worked with Backman two or three times on these shows. Oh, wow. They were something to go on to try to go against Vance, but. Vince was just too strong. He had all the marketing. He had all the power. He had all the money, and they had all the TVs and all the buildings tied up. And they didn't have a chance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Mr. Bass, thank you so much for coming on. Um, is there? Uh, are Are you showing up anywhere soon? Well, I've got. A, I'm going to do a Don Curtis Memorial thing up in January up oh, in Jacksonville. And I'm setting the details up on that. I think I'll be in San Antonio in, in February. And then I've got three or four bookings already in March. I'm going to be in Queens uh, the first weekend of March. And uh, I made a big mistake. I've double booked for this WrestleCade over in Orlando when WrestleMania's down. i got to do something about that. But, uh, yeah, we got some things going. And always, if any of the promoters are out there, one of the legends or something like that, don't hesitate to get in touch. I'd like to make them for you. What's the what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, <clears throat> for uh, you know they can call you and you've got my number now and we, and, and you know me on Facebook so do that or just hit me up on Facebook. Uh, I, I check my Facebook two or three times a week. I mean two or three times a day. So hit me up and we'll make it happen. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, Larry, um, talking talking. Uh, this weekend, I, it was it was sad that that promoter of that event cut, dropped the ball in a big way. I mean, there's no way to overstate what a bad job he did promoting that thing. 
but selfishly for me, it was awesome. Like you just, you know, we got to sit down and just shoot the shit. And At a time, again, again, you know, it's just, it's such a great thing. These are, I mean, just from the standpoint of that's, that's Florida wrestling history. You're sitting down with and talking to. Well, and, if you look at the age, you went with Bugsy. He was before me, and then then it was me, and and me and Brian was about the same time, and then Tugboat come in with Dusty when he was trying to save this territory, and then Fidel Sierra, and uh, he, he had he Cuban was, Assassin, and then you know Bushwhacker yeah, was, Luke when he was a sheep herder. I mean, unbelievable. I forgot about poor Luke, and you know that was the who's who of Florida wrestling, and he really dropped the ball. Well, we used to draw some big crowds in that Lakeland building, man. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, that's where Ring of Honor does its shows. And, like, the irony that you guys, who probably sold that place out <laughs> many, oh, so many, many times. <laughs> uh, so many times for it. What a, what, a, what a horrible situation. But you live and learn. We'll see what happens. Well, you're a gentleman and a genuine legend, and you know what? I might have to come to that Don Curtis show in Jacksonville. That sounds like right, it's going to be a great time. All right, but where do you live? I'm I'm near Orlando. I'm in Ocoee. So, oh, uh, yeah, I know that's it. Okay. Yeah. Well, now, thank you, you so much, sir. All right, buddy. Y'all, y'all have a good time, and I uh, enjoy talking with you, and you guys have a good day. Thanks a lot. All right. All right see you guys. Oh, I love it, Larry. I just, <laughs> you know, it's in this day and age where I find myself not not becoming a wrestling fan. I don't think it would ever be that. But there are times, and I'm sure you feel them too, uh, where you just go like, ah, right? right? I mean, something that Ron Bass and I were talking about was, you know, he he's he would go to the WWF shows. He would he would go whenever they were in Florida, and he's like, and I would, and you know, he's like, I'd sit there and I'd piss him off because I'd be going like, why is the crowd so damn quiet? He's like, we would have got fired, you know, like mm-hmm. the new standard is. The crowd sits on their hands. They chant for something. Sometimes it has to do with what's going on. Many times it doesn't, and they're not nearly as loud. He goes like, there's just. He, he said something that was so funny. He just went, I would love to get a decibel meter and just measure how loud crowds are. Even when they're at their loudest, he's like, it doesn't even touch how crazy crowds used to be. Um, I mean, something that makes me proud about PCW is it's one of the few buildings left where it is a genuine sustained level of noise where they're there to really watch and enjoy a show and they get caught up in the emotion of what's going on up and down the card. I fear that that is a thing of the past. That's one of the things that I, one of the reasons I enjoyed going to Nashville was you'd get that kind of sustained heat from some of the crowds up there. And the only two places I go now where I really get that are, uh, well, I got it in Porterdale and at in, in Peach State, where they have that sustained yeah. buzz for the show and that, and that kind of heat. And now, yeah, I really, I really do miss that from the, the old days. And, I was, you know, I was thinking one of the points he made about, you know, it's so hard to compare from the territory guy days when guys pay was based on their performance and they had to actually put yeah. their asses in the seats to get paid. And there's just no, you know, there's nothing like that now. 
It's it's one of the arguments I never engage in on Facebook, but that inevitable, like when they were talking about how crappy that one sign was for some rinky-dink wrestling promotion, oh, and, yeah. and inevitably the argument turned into, well, I get paid wherever I wrestle, and, you know, that kind of chest-puffing stuff, and I thought to myself – you know, because so, uh, if you work, you deserve to get paid. And of course, that's true to an extent. But you know what? You're also not getting paid percentage of the gate. You know what? You're also not getting paid based on where you are on the card and your ability as a draw. Like, that's the caveat. That's the other part is putting so and so on the poster getting people to come in and i think that there are very few guys to whom that applies at all where putting this person and that person on a poster makes a difference with who walks in the door um you know and that cannot be and i mean you see evidence because there are groups that attempt to draw based on who they're bringing in like like the awes right? Like we're going to get Zack Sabre Jr. or whatever. And the design of that is, but you know, not so much AWE, but other promotions who do that. Now there's this notion that you bring in guys from the outside to work with your guys. Like the primary intent isn't to sell tickets. And I mean, how screwed up is that where we've gotten away from the dynamic of a guy's got to kind of pull his own weight. That's what we're really talking about, right? I mean, if you got pers- – how much did main event guys get back in the day? Usually like 8% of the house, right, depending on the place where you were wrestling. But that was pretty standard fare. At least that's what um, that's what Mushnick paid, right, Sam Mushnick. He, so he would give you – you'd get 8%. Me and Larry are going to be in a main event together. We're each going to get 8% of the gate, you damn well better believe that we're going to do everything in that program leading up to me and you wrestling each other to make sure that place is packed. You know, it just behooved us to did it. It's why people put up with Bruiser Brody shit <laughs> because at the end of the day, Bruiser Brody came in and popped. I mean, these are all phrases that have been lost because they do not exist anymore. Who can come in and pop a territory or pop a show. I guess the closest guy lately has been Goldberg. I guess you could say Goldberg has kind of popped them a little bit, but again, what's the, if the limit of their imagination is let's put him in there with Lesnar again. I mean, if Goldberg got the kind of reaction in a territory that was kind of dormant and still, they would be pushing that guy to the moon, but we're in a day and age where the most creative thing they can think of is to give him a rubber match with a guy that he's beaten twice. <laughs> like I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of thinking, you know, you know, um, as far as like guys that draw, I, it, you know, I'm thinking of ring of honor. What part of what they're going through now is, you know, not that they have like one guy that was drawing, but they had a group of guys that were drawing and they've lost, you know, a, a grouping of talent, and that's I think that is hurting them at the box office. You can't say one specific guy, but just a, a, right. a general loss of of talent is hurting them. But no, you can't nail, you can't pin it down to this one guy was was popping the houses for them. I don't think. Right, and got you know ECW went through that right right when they got on TNN, they lost Taz and the Dudleys. Yeah, right. Yeah, and and, and they wanted to pretend that it didn't matter because. You know, just as it's 
kind of foolish to say there's no more heels and faces. It was also foolish to say, well, it was about the brand. They chant ECW. They don't really care about the guys. They found out they were wrong. And even in this day and age, Cena's absence has made a marked change of attendance, like a measurable they have dropped in attendance. Um, that stuff still matters, man. It's still about a business of stars and attractions. And uh, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on real quick, you brought a ring of honor, is um, I find this fascinating. I don't really have a strong opinion about it, but you know, like the um, Steve Carino is, is going to be part of the Performance Center, which is awesome. I don't think there's a single person who thinks that's a bad idea. And then, you know, with the coinciding with the bad news about Colby um, getting arrested for drug possession and possibly like, you know, distribution kind of stuff. Um, I find it interesting <clears throat> that a lot of the guys in that, in like North Carolina area and whatnot have sort of rallied around him. Um, I don't like I'm saying like I'm, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I find it really interesting that Colby is well liked enough that instead of people sort of shunning him, um, that we've sort of changed as a society and a culture enough that the first thing about is to rally around Colby. I just found that very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, before before we run, any quick thoughts on TLC? Um, yeah, I thought, you know, obviously AJ Styles and, you know, wild side alum, AJ Styles and, um, Dean Ambrose killed it. Uh, absolutely. I thought there were a number of great things that happened on it, but God, I mean, honestly, my one response to TLC is Jesus, there's another pay-per-view in like two weeks. (laughs) Yeah. I thought the match quality was very, very good. I mean, to me, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, having that many tables, ladders, and chairs on one show is redundant. But, I mean, those those people busted ass up and down the Yeah, guard. they did. Um, I don't know if you want – one thing that, that kind of uh, I got tickled by was that I, I even – you know, I, this is one of the few times I actually watched this whole thing bell to bell all the way through. I even watched some of the, the afterward show, and they had Alexa Bliss on there. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this, but where she was started crying or tearing up because, you know, her parents being there and the emotions of winning the title completely broke character. And then two seconds later, she's back. Well, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know Becky Lynch anything. It was just, it's just kind of weird, you know, to see a heel crying <laughs> after the show. To me, that's, anyway. to me, that's a lot of the problem with the new dynamic. It's like Stephanie McMahon's the biggest bitch in the world, but then there she is hugging a kid with cancer. It's, yeah. uh, I, I'm not saying everything has to be completely split and broken apart, and I get why they do what they do. At the same time, it's hard. It's even like the, the Enzo sketch, which I loved, right, with Lana And, you know, uh, like part of me loved it. And then part of me went the silly convention of sometimes they're aware of the camera. Sometimes they act like the camera's not there. Again, I think it's just a matter of, I think they just have to make a choice and run with it. I think all this sort of ambiguity 
is what hurts them at the end. And I don't think it, it leads to people leaving in droves where they're mad. I just think that it just comes across as more amateurish as another choice that you can make as far as what show or movie you can watch. Because this group isn't even telling me what I'm supposed to like. It's sort of like how Walking Dead is suffering from these huge rating drops. They went from 17 million week one, 10 million week two, and then every week since they've lost an, between half a million and a million viewers every week. And I, I just attribute it to they have the same problem wrestling does. Everybody knows how the pattern of their thing goes, which is beginning of the season matters, end of the season matters, everything in between doesn't. And I think people are kind of tired of them not following their own rules of their world that they've set up. Like they kill the zombies in all these ways. And again, minor stuff, but you know, okay, so you can stab a zombie through the throat. I thought that didn't work. And it's just when, when you don't care enough to follow your own rules, when you don't care enough to go, when you, when you bill a thing as Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will never wrestle again. And then they still wrestle each other every week. Uh, there's only so many, I mean, WCW showed there's only so many times you can play that game of basically insulting your audience in small and large ways before they just stop showing up. And that's what happened to WCW, you know, arenas where they sold out without announcing a match. They would go back after Kevin Nash's booking for six months and give away tickets and still only have 2000 people there. It's yeah, which leads to the, the state of the current state of affairs, where WWE is trying to draw more and more money out of a you know smaller group of people, and it's it's mm-hmm. working so far. It's it, you know they're they're making money and so forth, but it's it's at some point does that does that cause problems for them? Um, hey, uh, this yeah. weekend, big weekend coming up in. Uh, the Georgia scene, I guess the last big weekend of the the year, really, we got, we got four shows uh, that I can think of off the top of my head in, in two days. Uh, um, Wiley Russell's running, mm-hmm. State's running, both on Saturday. Then on Sunday, we've got the joint PCW uh, Southern Fried show and AWE's women's show. So there's a lot to choose from this weekend. There is. I saw. I finally saw what PCW was doing in that joint card. Um, of course, Southern Fried's kind of putting best foot forward. I, they had like a triple threat with the three big guys, right? It was um, Jeter and Michael Judas and I think Logan Creed. So that's insane. And on the PCW side, I was like, oh, what are we going to do? And it's going to be the two Bryans going at each other. Um, Brian Kane going for the Porterdale City Championship against Brian Blaze, who's the champion. And then... Um, Match one of the best of seven series between uh, Gladiator Slim J and Shane Marks. Ooh-hoo. Oh wow! Well. So nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. pretty great. So, but um, we will be back in two weeks on the twentieth. I believe we already have our guest book. Do we not, Larry? Todd Sexton will be our guest on the twentieth, and surely we're going to be talking about the Georgia Wrestling Awards at that point. By the way, get your nominations in to Brian Slack. If uh, you're part of the Georgia wrestling scene, send in those nominations. But by the 20th, we'll have the nominations. Uh, it'll be narrowed down to the, those folks for each category. So I'm sure we'll be talking about that. And, yes, yes, Todd Sexton will be our guest. 
Absolutely. Well, thank you, Larry. Uh, great show tonight. Thank you to Mr. Ron Bass, of course, and the person who uh, handles him, who she would not want to be named, but she's a great person also, and hopefully we'll be going to her to get guests in the future as well. But uh, we'll see you on the 20th with Todd Sexton, and um, thank you for joining us on The Tipping Point. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.